as my grandfather used to say, y'all meisted it this morning. You meisted it, you put your foot on it this morning. Yeah, I like that, I like that. I like it when you're up your game like that. See, I know you got the potential to do that. That's good stuff. Come on, let's praise God for him again. That's good stuff. Yeah. Ms. Crockett, how's your father? He's doing better. Okay, okay, amen. amen. Come on, join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the answered prayers for Sister Crockett's father. Thank you for restoring his body. And even though he may have a long way to go in terms of complete restoration, we thank you for what you've given us thus far. Continue to watch over my brother and keep him in the palm of your hand, God, and give that family strength and hope to know that all things are possible through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you, God, for giving her the strength to be able to travel to Texas to see her father. And Lord, thank you for bringing her back safely. And God, we pray you keep watch over her mom and just keep that family strengthened in this time of trouble. We believe by faith, God, you are indeed a healer a doctor who has never lost a case. And so, God, we keep him in your hands and pray your will to be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Keep us abreast of how he's doing, all right? Thank you so much. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm only going to read verse 3 because that's as far as we're going to get. I want to read verses 3 through 6, but we're only going to get to verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3 is our text this morning, the word of the Lord. Be not dismayed, whatever the tide, God will take care of you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You may be seated. Amen. We learned that on that first Sunday that I shared with you from this letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus, that Paul began immediately in this letter to introduce to the believers in Ephesus that which too often as Christians we neglect and overlook in terms of the significance in our lives. Although there is much joy in physical, emotional, and mental healing, and there is joy there, when you finally get your mind and your heart and your spirit on track where it needs to be, there's a lot of joy in that. Although there's much joy in the provision of material satisfaction and there is glory, there is satisfaction and joy in what God provides for us in the physical realm. And although there's much joy in the acclaimed of life opportunities, and some of us can celebrate opportunities we know that would not have came our way had it not been for some form of divine intervention. And although there's much joy in the release of what we call much defined favor in one's life, and certainly I hope all of us feel like we've got some favor from God, certainly we did not deserve, yet Paul in the letter never focuses 
never focuses on those issues. One could argue that he could have taken the time to elevate or could consider how well off the Gentiles were, those Gentile Christians in Ephesus were, as a result of their pagan world in which they enjoyed material joy, but instead he highlights immediately at the outset of this letter that you and I, as well as those in Ephesus, should be glad that we are saved by the grace of God, that we have eternal life, and that God has rescued us from perishing through the work of Jesus Christ. And that one day, God did just what we really needed, a touch, a touch from him, a touch from God's hand right where we were. Isn't it crazy but yet glorious that not all of us can say that we were saved or that we were touched by God in a church, but that we were touched somewhere else outside of a church. Could have been in a home, could have been in the field, could have been at the job, but wherever we were, God touched us, and I decipher from that the excitement of the lyrics of Bill Gaither's glorious song, shackled by being heavy burdened and beneath a heavy load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me and now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. He touched me. And now I know he touched me. Something has happened and now I know he touched me and he's made me whole. That's shouting material right there, boy. And you got to think about that in reflection to where you were and how you were before he touched you. So you've got to measure that against how your life was and how things were existing in your life until the touch. Now, after the touch, the narrative changes. God rewrites your story. God changes and turns the page on life and begins to write something fresh and anew in your life. And the glorious thing about Gaither's lyrics is it sounds like something that only happened in the past. But how many of you know he's still touching you? He's still touching us every single day. He's still lifting us. He's still doing something magnificent in us. Remember, I told you on the first Sunday, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm so glad I'm saved because God has made me a representative on assignment. Remember, in verse 1, Paul says he's an apostle. He's an apostolos. He's a messenger. He's an ambassador sent on assignment to represent someone else. And when God touched us and saved us, he now sends us on assignments. Every day, we're on an assignment, whether we know it or not. We are on an assignment to let our light so shine. We're on an assignment to lead people to the bread of life. We're on assignment to point people to the living lighthouse that can bring them life transformation. And I am an ambassador. You are an ambassador. We are representatives. And I'm glad I'm saved because God then gave me an assignment that's life-changing and it's recorded in eternity. 
I'm also glad I'm saved. Remember I told you? Because secondly, he regenerated our lives. Remember, he changed us. The word is hagios. It means that God has transitioned us from being sinners by way of position and then being faithless by way of position, now being saints by way of position and being faithful in way of position. Remember, that's what he said in verse 1 and 2 that we are the faithful saints of God. That's what God has made us. We were first sinners, lost, eternally separated, but by being saved by God's divine grace, we are now repositioned to be in the heavenlies with God, names written in the Lamb's book of life, and we ought to be excited that he regenerated our life. Now, you got to think about what my life was before he saved me. How your life was before he saved you. What condition you lived in. What mindset you have. How your heart was before he saved you. And now that he has saved you. And when you look at how you handle life's challenges now. You look at how you handle life's issues now. You look at how you handle the mountains that you have to climb. Before, you very well could have lost your mind. But now, you can't lose your mind because you have a God who holds your mind and who gives you peace in the midst of a tough situation. That's because he's regenerated. Change your mind that before I wouldn't know where to look when I need help but because he's changed me now I lift my eyes unto the hills from which comes my help and now I know where all of my help comes from. It comes from the Lord. But I'm also glad I'm saved because he's made me a recipient of his grace. That's what verse 1 and 2 tells us. He's, we are recipients of his grace. Grace and peace. Keros and shalom. Keros, the unmerited favor. Nothing I have done that has given me the grace of God. Nothing I've done to deserve that. That's totally by the love that God had for me as his creation. And he's given me a peace. Once again, you got to measure that based on what you were before you became the recipient of his grace and peace. Before you not only would lose your mind, but you might help somebody else lose their mind. But now, after salvation, you got grace that gives you favor and that gives you uh, maneuvering in which otherwise you don't deserve it. And then you got peace. You have a peace like you've never seen before. Before, you would be chaotic. But now, you're calm. Even when a life-changing experience comes that breaks your heart, before, you'd be mad at the world. But now, you come to realize because God gives peace, put it into the hands of the Lord and then live off of the peace that surpasseth all understanding that God gives us. All of that comes because we are recipients of his grace and recipients of his peace. But guess what? I call this sermon, So Glad I'm Saved, part two, because there's some more stuff in verse three, four, five, and six, but I'm going to tell you about verse three that I'm so glad that I'm saved about, and it makes me shout this morning because, number one, I'm glad that I'm saved because of my salvation. Look at what the text says in verse 3. It says, because, blessed be 
the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to admonish you, pay close attention to the words that Paul uses in the text because it's the words that he uses that creates, that germinates, that creates the germ, that creates the joy of knowing that I'm saved by his grace. And every time you think about it, you'll come to realize I ought to shout every time I think about how God not only has saved me, but how he keeps me every single day of the journey. Look what Paul does. He doesn't direct your joy initially to you. He directs your joy initially to the relationship that exists between Jesus and God and God as Father. Look what the text says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He breaks down the completeness of who Christ is. On the human side, he sees God as the creator in Christ. Now, we know that Christ is not born through the natural manner in which life comes, so he's an immaculate conception and yet he's still created by God himself. But then he says, he sees that in Jesus, the Christos, he sees God as his father. A father who provides for him, a father who takes care of him, a father who watches over him. He sees both the God humanity and the father-son relationship between Jesus and God. Look at the first word, bless. Now, there are several words that are used in the New Testament that identify the word bless. One word we are probably most familiar with is the Greek word makarios. Makarios is used by Jesus in Matthew 5. When Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus is saying, it's a prosperous journey it's a prosperous life, it's a prosperous lifestyle that you have engaged and embraced the mindset of walking in the victory of God. So you are blessed, says Jesus. But that's not the word that Paul is using. In fact, the word that Paul is using, you probably would never would imagine it. It's an interesting word because it's the word from which we get the word eulogy. It's the Greek word eulogetos, eulogetos, eulo or getos meaning uh, it's the peace as well as the context of uh, being blessed, but more importantly, it's the meaning of speaking of, speaking well of. The word eu, E-U means good. So we call it a eulogy when we're speaking good of someone's life when they've gone on into eternity. And yet Paul employs that word, which I found strange, considering that Jesus ain't dead. God is not dead. And yet he draws out of the Greek infliction the idea that we are to literally let the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ be spoken well of all the time. Now, here's what he means. So you think about this. We take a hold of David's words. I think it is in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. In other words, David says, every chance that I get, 
I'm going to eulogize, speak well of God. I'm going to lift up the great things that God has done in me and is doing for me and is doing around me. I'm going to let everybody know that you might think that God is dead, but I'm here to testify he's alive and well. Then he tells us in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. That means that when I rise up in the morning, I'm blessing him. When I go through the day, I'm blessing him. When I come home, I'm blessing him. When I lie down at night, I'm going to bless him. When I get back up the next morning, I'm going to bless him. It's a repeated cycle because each time I keep being a recipient of his grace. How many of you know every morning you wake up, that's God's provision of grace on your life one more time. Every night that you lie down, that's God's giving your peace of mind one more time. Every morning you wake right back up again, that's God saying, I love you so much that I'm going to raise you to the newness of life one more time. And when you think about how good God has been to you, you can't help but bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that's in me. You better bless him. You better bless him. You better bless him. When you were sick, you better bless him. When you had need of something, you better bless him. When you needed a door open, you better bless him. When you needed him to raise you up, you better bless him at all times. I'll admit to you that I don't understand how God does what God does all the time. But when I think about how blessed I am, even when I don't understand him, I still got to hold on to God's unchanging hand. I got to shout that I'm saved by his grace and I've been washed in his blood. And when I would have suffered the penalty, he loved me so much that he looked beyond my faults. Anybody happy that he looked beyond your faults? Look beyond who you used to be. Look beyond who you were. Look beyond what you do now. And he keeps on blessing you. So glad I'm saved. Because he gave me salvation. Paul said he's rescued you. God Almighty. When you think about when you were falling. When you think about where you were falling. And all you got to do is just think about what would have happened if he didn't rescue you. From your fallen condition. And Paul says you ought to shout because he's rescued you, but he repositioned you. So when I once was nothing more but to consider to be a wretch undone, he repositioned and changed my whole perspective, my whole demeanor. And now look at me, I am a saint and the faithful according to the grace of God. And I'm so glad that he delivered me. And we all ought to be shouting that he delivered us this morning. Hallelujah. 
I'm not only glad that I'm saved because of my salvation, but I'm also, and I'm going to close with this one, I'm glad that I'm saved because of my sanctification. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, there it is, there's that word again, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's an interesting way that he used the word there, bless. In the Greek, we call it in the aorist tense. That simply means that Paul now is saying it's a matter of fact. You can't change it. It's already done. You ever heard somebody say, I love you, and ain't nothing you can do about it? That's what they're really saying. It's in the aorist tense. Ain't nothing you can do about it. It's already done. It's history. And Paul is saying we're already blessed with every spiritual blessing. It's the same word, eulogetos, but yet it's in a different form. You know the word there, T-H-E-I-R, and then T-H-E-R-E, -E, same word, but different forms. Same thing in this text. Paul using bless in a different form. And he's really trying to tell us that it's different in that when God is blessed, God is praised by us and we speak well of God. That's our way of blessing God. Remember what David said? Bless the Lord, O my soul. But Paul says when God blesses us, God doesn't necessarily speak well of us. Instead, he does something better. What does he do better? He does good for us by giving us all the blessings we need in the word, spiritual blessings that are reserved, hanging out in heavenly places, waiting to be summoned by us. Our blessing is in the Lord. Our blessing is in his deed. He confers his blessing upon us. And what we mean by spiritual blessings, they can only be produced and given by the Holy Spirit. Now, what are they? Remember I said I'm shouting, I'm happy, I'm glad I'm saved because of my sanctification, that I've been sanctified by God. What does that mean? That God repeatedly, not only in saving me, cleansed me. Watch this. But in saving me every day, cleanses me. So in other words, you ought to shout about the sanctifying act of God because if God didn't give you forgiveness, oh my God, see that? Okay, I'm not going to try to be specific because I don't know, but I'm just going to challenge your mind. Just go back and think about just, just this past week, nothing else. Don't go past the week. Just think about what I've done that I know that if God wanted to judge me as a result of it, that I would end up suffering the wages of sin. But instead, I got forgiveness. God Almighty. And there ought to be a shout right there that I got forgiveness when I missed the mark and got off of the right path and said the wrong thing and thought the wrong thing and even executed the wrong thing. He didn't sentence me to death. He forgave me. 
Anybody know about one more chance? One more chance? One more chance? Well, I can make a record out of it. One more chance today. One more chance tomorrow. One more chance. Just one more chance. And I believe I got some witnesses in the house today that can testify I'm a recipient of one more chance over and over and over and over again. He blessed me with a spiritual blessing, sanctification, cleansing me, and then forgiving me. Now, if God could have, he could have stopped right there, but then there's another spiritual blessing, then I'm done. He restores me. That's what David meant when he said, he restoreth my soul. Ah, 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse of all unrighteousness. But that tells me that God says, even when you broke my law and you broke relationship with me, you broke rank, here's how much I love you. When you just say I'm sorry, I'll get you right back into the right position where you were. In fact, I'll make you even better because he restored. How many of you know that if God had not restored us when we fall, we remember, we remember, I got something in my mind right now, I'm thinking about, we remember when we made a major mistake. Okay, let me say it right. We remember when we executed a major sin, a violation of God's word, should have took us out. But here we are in church, March 15th, 2020, because we've been restored. And here's a revelation for somebody. No matter how, here's the glory about being saved. No matter how bad you think you are, how far off the beaten path you think you have gone, you can't go so far, so far away that the gracious saving hand of God can't reach you where you are and bring you back to this space of restoration. That's why your eyes got to be on the Lord and not on people. Because I'm going to have an expectation of you that until you satisfy me, I ain't going to forgive you. That's human nature. But when you have been washed in the blood of the lamb and when you have been rescued by the hand of God and when you know that you've been restored by God's grace, it's not a problem in forgiving because you realize forgiving you sets me free. And because it sets me free, I'm going to set you free. And when we are all free, for whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm glad I'm saved because of my salvation. I'm glad I'm saved because of my sanctification. Can I give you one more? I'm glad I'm saved because of my security. Listen to what the text says. I said I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Verse 4, just as he chose us. Therein lies, in connection with the next phrase, look what it says, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Here's, here's what it says. God chose me. Now what happens when I choose something? That means I got personal specific interests in what I choose. That's what I want right there. That's the particularity of it. That's my objective. And I'm going to do everything in my power 
to protect and to endure and to enjoy and to elevate what I chose. And that tells me that Jesus says that all that the Father gives to me, no one can pluck them out of my hand. That's what's called eternal security in my salvation. And you know what I'm talking about that? Because God says, even though you love me and you make awful mistakes sometimes, even when you make those mistakes, no one will ever be able to pluck you out of my hand, not even your mistakes. How do I know that? Because Paul says in Romans 8, I am persuaded that neither life, angels, nor principalities, nor things, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature, living or dead, can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm secured. Now, when I understand security, I understand what Paul meant in Galatians in the entire letter when he tells me don't take your liberty for granted. In other words, he argues that I understand that your flesh is quite powerful and it has a desire to move you out of the blessed lane of God. When it moves me out of the blessed lane, it moves me back into the, the flesh lane, which means that I'm only going to reap the reward of my flesh. Oh, it's a gratification in the moment. But I miss the blessing of God in the long term. And Paul says, when you know you're secure in Christ, in Galatians, he says, you invest in working at making sure that you keep your life on track with God. Doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake. Doesn't mean you're not going to fall. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Let me use the right word. You're not going to sin. Doesn't mean you're not going to do that. You are. You are because you're still in the flesh. And you're in a world who's occupied by sinners who have sinful practices that's enticing. And yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians that God, through Jesus, has worked it out where there's not a temptation that we're ever going to encounter that he hadn't already made a way out of it. If I'm willing to look unto the hill who holds my eternal security. So that's the reason why I'm not worried about coronavirus, whatever the heck you call it. It is what it is, but it doesn't hold my salvation. It doesn't give me grace. If y'all remember my email, remember I made this little comment, don't look for me to give you any scriptural references. There's no scriptural reference for this. That's just common sense what I was talking about. Now I got a scriptural reference for you. Now unto him. See, the stuff that I can handle, I, I don't need scripture for that. I already know what I can handle. But when it's out of my realm, now unto him. What do you mean? Why you put it up there? Who is able? Now, I give it to him because his ableness exceeds my ability. Able what? To do. You're missing it. He can do exceedingly. Hold on now. Whoa. What do you mean by exceedingly? He can do far beyond 
my minute mind could ever think about no matter how brilliant I was. So I got to thinking. Suppose I had the combination of a mind of Albert Einstein, Michael Eric Dyson, and Cornel West. Suppose I had all three capabilities in my brain. And I'm trying to think about what is it that God can't do. I haven't even touched the alphabet. Because in his exceedingly, in his greatness, to do beyond what I could ever think. And I would have been all right if Paul said think, but then he said even imagine. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could ever imagine to think. He's the all-wise, eternal God. That's who I give all my stuff to. That's all you can do. That's why I'm trying to tell you, don't freak out, lose your mind over this stuff. Lord, if you can handle the plagues that you sent down to Egypt, then you got to be able to handle whatever this coronavirus is. Ain't no cure. Read the Bible. They had no cure as well. Only God had the cure. And as they would say, I rest my case, Your Honor. So glad that I'm saved because of my salvation. So glad that I'm saved because of my sanctification. And so glad that I'm saved because of my eternal security. It's all in Jesus. And I'm resting all of that, says Paul, on this language in which Paul conveys about this God choosing me before the foundation of the world that I might be holy and blameless. And the word holy there doesn't mean that I might be totally pure. That's a misunderstanding, misrepresentation in terms of interpretation. The word means that I might be whole. See, sin splintered me, but when I come to Christ, I'm made whole. And that happens, says Paul, uh, well, better said, with Paul's writing, uh, we pick it up better in the old hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that blood, lose all their guilty stain. Let me close with this. I got to get you out of here. We got to go. We got to go. Yeah, we got to go. Got to get you out of here. Listen, 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 listen. Elvina Hall. Elvina Hall. In 1820, Alexandria, Virginia. She was born. Young girl. Married a young man and moved to Baltimore, Maryland. When they moved to Baltimore, Maryland, they went to, I think it's Mountain United Methodist Church. They joined the church, and one day while the pastor was preaching, she had her pen and paper out, and she did something that she just didn't do while the pastor was preaching at that time. She started to take notes, but then when she started to take the notes, something hit her, and she started to write down some lyrics. 
and she couldn't figure out when she wrote down the lyrics what they really mean. And listen, listen, this is, this is what she wrote down. She started putting some pen to the paper and she said, I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thy all in all. And she kept saying, but what does that mean? And how would I, how would I work that? When the pastor comes out of the pulpit, <clears throat> she says, Pastor, I'm going to share something with you. She shared with him these words. And then the pastor says, you know, hold on. The other day, such and such shared a phrase with me. And maybe you can connect it to your song. It seems like it might work. What's the phrase? Jesus paid it all. And then she started writing, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. But what did he do? He washed me. Got that shouting nose right there. He washed me as white as snow. I started shouting because I got to thinking, man, where was she? Look to Alexandria, Virginia. That's my home. Can I find where she stood at? And yet went to Baltimore and found God revelatory in these words. That's why I'm glad I'm saved. Because Jesus paid it all. All to him out. So when you go out to work tomorrow, if you're going to work, if you're working home by way of virtue, you know, online, when you get up in the morning, just, just look at the news. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Don't get all, oh, God. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. But I'm shouting because he washed me and made me white as Amen. Those of the church are open. Somebody here today who may need to come to know who the Savior is. That's all we've been talking about. A good Lord. Savior who not only saves us, but keeps us. Keeps us in the palm of his hand. You're in this house today and you don't know Christ.